This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. to value listeners this week we're going to be talking about home-based primary care with full risk medicare advantage this is a transformative model that not, not only brings health care to the doorstep of our seniors but also places the responsibility for their well-being squarely in the hands of dedicated providers creating a proactive and patient-centered approach to aging with dignity and comprehensive care. This week, we're featuring two leaders from WellBe Senior Medical. They're a global risk group that provides longitudinal geriatric primary care to the most underserved, frail, and complex homebound Medicare Advantage beneficiaries. They're in seven states. They're caring for 107,000 patients. They've been recognized recently by Modern Healthcare as one of the best places to work in the healthcare industry. They're a leading exemplar of showing others that it's possible to succeed in patient-centered care by leveraging value-based payment at the highest level of financial risk. And that acceptance of risk with those incentives provide the patient-centric innovation that can bring to bear a delivery model like this uh, to address prevention and social determinants of health and create access to primary care. Wellbe's making healthcare easier. And we have two of the leaders from the company, Dr. Jeffrey Kong, Chief Executive Officer. He's a geriatrician with extensive experience in global risk and primary care for these populations. He was the first Chief Medical Officer for CMS years ago. He also has a strong retail background. He ran all of Walgreens, emerging healthcare businesses. He was also a chief medical officer for Cigna for nine years, and he ran a group of geriatricians before that. He was president at ChinMed, and now, of course, he's the CEO of Wellbe Senior Medical. And uh, joining him is Mike Stewart. He's the chief growth officer at Wellbe, and in this role, he's leading their commercial strategy and partnership development. And this is one of the largest and fastest growing independent home-based medical groups in the country. And under his leadership, Wellbe is fostering partnerships with the nation's most innovative health plans health systems and provider groups to create this transformative in-home clinical care model for the underserved, frail, and polychronic seniors. I'm so excited to bring this episode to you this week. So let's now hear from Dr. Jeffrey Kong and Mike Stewart as they join us this week in the Race to Value. Jeff and Mike, welcome to the Race to Value. It is incredible to have you on this show this week to talk about the great work that you're doing to care for seniors in the home. It, it is just it so exciting to have you on this week. Thanks, Eric. 
Eric, yeah, it's a pleasure for uh, Jeff and I to both be here. This is Mike Stewart, and also to be a part of the Race to Value and, you know, alongside many of the other healthcare leaders you guys have had on the podcast. Yeah, this is Jeff. Thanks a whole bunch. You know, I've been a, a big fan of the Institute for Advancing Healthcare Value. In fact, no. Mark McClellan and your original founders, Mark McClellan and Governor Levitt, really well, or I guess I should say Secretary Levitt. They're great leaders, and and I think the Institute's done some great stuff. So really appreciate the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this is a story that I think needs to be told in the world of value-based care. You know, your company, WellBe Senior Medical, it's a global risk medical group. You're providing longitudinal geriatric care to underserved, frail, and complex homebound populations serving Medicare Advantage beneficiaries. I thought as we start, you could provide us, our listeners, with some context about care in the home, because I know there might be some confusion, you know, just given all the different opportunities in, in the continuum to, to care for patients in their home setting. You know, Eric, there is a lot of activity in, in the home. And I think one way of trying to define this or just kind of give your listeners a sense of what's going on just think about the needs, right? So there is, uh, I would say there's an acute care need. So if someone has an acute event, then there is a, what I'm going to call custodial care. People are, let's say, homebound, and they just need help with their with bathing, feeding. And then there is what I'm going to call longitudinal primary care. And then there probably is another segment called uh, durable medical equipment. And then the fourth is home infusion. So let me just kind of go down those. From an acute care perspective, you know, let's say you have a minor disease, let's say a cold, whatever, urinary tract infection, that typically people call that a house cause program. And a lot of the telehealth companies are getting into that space also. But it's just think about it as a one and done episodic thing. And that can even done telehealth. Or the doctor or nurse practitioner just comes to your home and just treats you. It's like you might see in a retail clinic, like in a Walgreens or something like that, but it's just in your home. It's very convenient. You walk in, it's a one and done episode. So I'm going to call that acute episodic care. Then there's a group of people doing what's called post-acute care. So the post-acute care is that someone's had a hospitalization. And now you got to bring in some skill and typically it's skilled nursing services. So in Medicare, they define that as home health agencies. And so you get a skilled nurse, take a look at your wound. You may get some physical therapy, some occupational therapy. You know, let's say someone who had a, a hip fracture or whatever, they had a hip operation. So that would be post-acute kind of home health care or home health agencies. That's the second segment. Then you have a group of people who are chronically homebound and they just need support. So these are like, let's say, uh, let's say dementia, and they just need someone to cook for them, bathe them or whatever. That's called, typically that's called personal care assistance. So companies like those are like Addis or Help at Home, but that's kind of in that space. Then there's the durable medical equipment. You know, that's a lot of times home, so it's wheelchairs and stuff and, and oxygen tanks, get them in the home. And then there's specialty, there's infusion, home infusion. You know, let's do chronic IV treatments in the home. So there are a lot of what I would call point solutions. If you start from episode care, episodic care, then you go to post-acute, 
Then you have the custodial care. Uh, actually, hospice care is another point solution kind of in the home. So a lot of players, a lot of, con I'm going to call it confusion, fragmentation. Maybe that's another way. From a member's perspective, what they're trying to do is figure out the optimum use of all those point solutions. And that's actually, quite frankly, where Wellbe comes in. So Wellbe Senior Medical is longitudinal primary care. And we're responsible for helping the patient in their home navigate and coordinate all of those point solutions, pulling them all together. You need durable medical equipment, great, fine. We'll write the order. You know, you need a you need a home health agency, we'll write the order. The way I like to think about Wellbe almost is if you think about each of those point solutions as a subcontractor, think about Wellbe as almost your general contractor, someone that helps you kind of navigate all of these things. You know, so like imagine you're building a house, right? And you have plumbing, you have electricians, you have the concrete foundation, you have the roof guy, whatever, you know, the gutter guy. Who pulls all that together and figures it out? What's the timing? What's the sequence? That's what's going on in the home. There are all those point solutions, all those, I'm gonna call them subcontractors, but who's a general contractor that pulls them all together? And that's that's Welby, senior medical. Does that make sense? Well, it does. And I just love what you're doing with the company. You're you're taking global risk, you're delivering primary care to these frail, elderly, and disabled populations. Jeff, you're the CEO of the company. You have a background as a geriatrician. You've had extensive experience in risk, and you've done so much work. Your listeners heard a little bit of your bio in the in the introduction. Mike, you're the chief growth officer for Wellbe. You're charged with leading commercial strategy and partnership development with the largest and fastest growing independent home-based medical group in the country. And what I love about the company is you have this superlative mission. I mean, you're really out there to help seniors lead a meaningful life by delivering the most complete care, as you described. And to accomplish this, your interdisciplinary team is going out there and delivering care in a very personalized way. They're dedicated to working together to meet the needs of older adults with chronic complex health needs. You're combining the human touch of home-based medical care with all the knowledge, tools, and technology of modern medicine. You have this vision to make healthcare easier, more convenient, responsive, patient-centered. And I know that was born out of personal experience somewhere for the both of you that you've had in your life and career up to this point. And as I learned more about the company, it sounds a lot like ChinMed's model, but in the home. So I wanted to, to get to know you a little bit and your backgrounds and, and how Wellbe Senior Medical's work and value-based care transformation resonates with your own personal calling. You know, why is your work at Wellbe important to both of you as leaders and what excites you the most about the innovation taking place in the company? Yeah, Eric, it's it's a great question. Again, this is Mike Stewart. Yeah, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of innovation going on, not only at Wellbe, but particularly in the home-based care market, really trying to tackle the big challenges around social determinants of health, making care more personalized, bringing you know, multidisciplinary professionals directly to the home to meet patients' needs. And the thing that excites me about Wellbe is, is not only the personalized nature of the care we deliver, but also as you think about the proactive nature of care, you know, far too often in, in medicine, we're reactionary. We treat patients 
um, as opposed to providing ongoing support on a proactive basis, getting out to patients, you know, before chronic conditions worsen, um, patients end up in the hospital. So there's a lot of work that goes on around development of analytics, different types of tools and technologies. But at the heart of it, you know, what's really differentiated about WellBe, you know, as we think about our provider teams, is is the provider. Really, it's a specialized uh, skill set that it takes to go into the home to meet patients, you know, in that environment and to really uncover, you know, all the things that are going on in a patient's life outside of just their medical needs. And, you know, I've been fortunate in my roles, the various companies I've worked for over the years in healthcare, really getting to focus on population health, social determinants, um, understanding, you know, significant barriers that patients have to overall health and being able to bring all of these components together in an integrated model like WellBe under full global risk, where we take full accountability for that patient population, it's really, it's a, it's a win-win for the health plans that we partner with, for WellBe as a company, but most importantly, for the patients that we're fortunate to get to serve. I really appreciate everything that Mike said. I'm, I'm going to take come at this, your, your question from a clinical perspective. So as you mentioned to your listeners, I'm a geriatrician, and I just want to maybe step back for your listeners and just describe the patient we're taking care of. So all of us, every all your listeners have had a parent or a grandparent, and just think about it. I call it the frail elderly, someone, uh, seven or eight chronic diseases, maybe some dementia, maybe some arthritis. They can't get out and navigate the healthcare system. You know, they, they, it's what's easy for you and I to do, right? Is we can go and slip halfway across town and go see the doctor and then they refer to and we can kind of, but we're capable physically and mentally to navigate a very complicated healthcare system. But all of us had that frail elderly mother or grandfather or whatever it is. They just can't, and you don't know what to do with them, and they don't know what to do, and they're just lost in the healthcare system. That's kind of our target population. And the 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 dirty sin, this is now I'm a doctor, right? It turns out that everything a doctor does, a primary care doctor does in his or her office can actually be done at home. So just think about it. You can take a history. You can do a physical exam. You can draw blood tests. You do x-rays. You do ultrasound. You can take electrocardiogram. So everything that's done in a primary care office, you can do at home. And when you think about that loved one that you have, that family member or friend, right? What's the easiest thing to do or the best thing to do from a patient satisfaction and outcome perspective? Instead of having the patient go to the care, you have the care, you bring the care to the patient. And that's, as a geriatrician, I've been doing that for 30 years. That's the best thing to do. You get better outcomes, better patient satisfaction. You bring the care to the patient. Yeah, actually, I'll just go one step further. You mentioned your listener sounds like you've, had, you've talked with Chen Med and Oak Street or whatever, you know great primary care offices and, you know, clinic-based, bricks and mortar-based, it turns out everything they do, we can do at home. So just give that mental image. And that's basically, think about, you know, I, I used to be the president of ChenMed, but just think about 
Chen Med in the home. It's kind of what we're doing. Well, I couldn't be more excited to have you both on the show. I, I just love the Welby model. And I don't know if it's intentional or coincidence, but your model reminds me of Marcus Welby, MD. That's the classic TV show from the 1970s where Dr. Welby was portrayed as a compassionate and dedicated general practitioner. He often took a personal interest in his patients. That character was known for his warm and empathetic approach to medicine, which is at the heart of your home-based care model for seniors. And we couldn't be more in need of care delivery transformation like yours, since typical care in the U.S. health system is so fragmented, disjointed, it's often impersonal. I mean, patients are forced to receive medical care from multiple providers across various settings. Those providers and services aren't well connected or coordinated, and that lack of coordination leads to a range of issues that negatively impact patient outcomes, quality of care, and healthcare efficiency. And, you know, to illustrate that point, you know, the New England Journal of Medicine found that the average Medicare patient saw a median of two PCPs and five specialists per year, and that's just the median. And it's estimated, you know, that 75% of healthcare expenditures are consumed in the care of chronic conditions. And the care for these individuals, you know, it's very fragmented across those multiple providers and specialties. And we really need a better way to build cohesion and consistency in caring for our most vulnerable seniors. And your high-touch home-based care model delivers care across the continuum from prevention all the way to the end of life in a very compassionate and empathetic way. So I wanted to see if you both collaborate more on your care model and how it differs from traditional primary care models. And you know, given that 90 to 95% of care provided in a primary care clinic can be performed at home. Do you see Welby as the beginning of a sea change in value-based care in the years to come? Uh, sure. So from a care model perspective, I do want to, you emphasized a couple of times, and I just want to reemphasize the compassion and the empathy. You know, we're talking about frail elderly who are at the, towards the end of their life. In fact, if you look at our patients, their one-year mortality rate is around 20, 25%, okay? And at that point, I mean, you read our mission, right? We're about a meaningful life. What these patients really need is, they. it's no longer about the quantity of life. It's about the quality of life. And our clinicians, they're all geriatric-based, and we really focus on that and that empathy and compassion is really important because that is what's missing in in care in the United States. So we spent a lot of time there. The patients really love this. And when you listen to their testimonials, it's no longer about the technical part of care. It's about their, they just feel that they're being treated with respect and trust and compassion and empathy. And that's really what people are looking for. In fact, what's the definition of a good doctor? It's not their diploma on the wall and their training. The definition of a good doctor, if you ask a bit from a patient, is do they have a good bedside manner and do they treat me with respect and trust? And do they listen? Do they have empathy? And so we spend a lot of time. That's what this population needs from a care model on that aspect. And when you think about it, it's easier to have these conversations in the safety of someone and comfort of someone's home. Any of these guys get to know someone. 
And you mentioned Marcus Welby, MD. He actually did home visits. So that Karen, that, you know, you're old enough. I, I'm old enough. I remember that TV show, but you're right. He was that fatherly physician that kind of just cared about you. And he did home visits and because that was the right thing to do. I just wanted to make sure your Eric, your listeners understood that compassion and empathy piece, because it's really important. Yeah, and Eric, on the on your comments and the question around, you know, the transformation taking place, these models are, you know, truthfully expensive and, and challenging logistically to operate. So it requires the right, you know, or economic arrangement uh, with health plans that are bearing the risk for these complex populations. Really being able to deliver this complete care directly to these patients um, works best under full global risk. Um, you know, these are our costly populations that are typically running at a loss for the health plan. They're, they're poor quality, so they tend to be much lower on their star scores. So the health plans are, are really all too willing to look for partners that are excited about kind of raising their hand, stepping forward and providing something different in the industry. And so it takes a lot of work to get to you know, final agreement, final arrangements, but really taking full global risk is probably the best path forward. I do see there's a tremendous shift taking place around home-based care, uh, particularly around value-based care models in the home. But full global risk is not for the light of heart. I mean, there's a lot of work actuarially that needs to go into it. And as we look at, you know, new companies coming out into the market, um, it's great to see new sorts of approaches, being able to reach more patients in the home directly, but you start to wonder about the long-term success of a lot of these types of models and, and companies that are there. It's one thing to sort of generate results in a defined market. It's another to sort of be able to scale that across tens of thousands of patients, multiple states, really being able to make sure you're there in the long run supporting those patient populations. And so, you know, it's one thing we've been able to show really well with Wellbe is, is setting up the right economic structure to make it, again, that win-win for, for the health plan, the patient, and, and also for Wellbe. Just on the side note, on the, on the Marcus Wellbe comments, I won't date myself, but, but I was not familiar with Marcus Wellbe or the show it predated me. But I remember when I first joined Wellbe, looking up Wellbe home care and those episodes popped up in the Google search. And so that led me down a little bit of a rat hole exploring that. And it, it, it's a great play on words. Actually, it resonates a lot with our patients that tie the Welby story directly to their experiences watching Dr. Marcus Welby over, over the years. Well, Mike, you talk about the economic structure that's necessary to enable this high-touch, relationship-based, tech-enabled, home-based care practice. You know, the results, as I understand, in managing your MA population have been really outstanding. Because you're delivering this personalized care, you've had greater than 50% engagement. I mean, some of the Welby neighborhoods have above the 70% target. Your patient satisfaction scores are around 95%. You've had improvement in your medical loss ratio over 40% since the company was started three years ago. And at a HEDIS quality of care level, you're at a four-star rating. And Medicare Advantage, of course, you know, hitting that all-important four-star is critical to get the bonus and the rebates that the program funds. And since you take risk with the MA plan, when the plan scores that all-important four-star, it unlocks the bonuses and rebates. You get a portion of that as well as what gets paid downstream from the capitated payment. And Welby's a leading exemplar showing others that it is possible to succeed in patient-centered care by leveraging value-based payment at the highest level of financial risk. And that acceptance of risk provides you with those incentives to pursue patient-centric innovation through the delivery of 
your inventive care model that's personalized. It goes upstream. It addresses prevention and social determinants of health, as you explained. So I wanted to see if you could talk about the results of the practice and caring for the over 100,000 managed lives you have in your patient population. And, and have you found that your appetite to take risk has been reciprocated by those MA plans and their willingness to delegate that risk during the contracting process? Yeah, Eric, some, some great questions there. And and on um, the recap on the results that we've had, yeah, we're really proud of what we've been able to generate, you know, especially on our longest running cohorts over the past couple of years. And again, being able to kind of replicate those same results in other markets is something we're, we're pretty proud of. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. And when it comes to, you know, the key metrics that, that we certainly track from a success perspective, performance perspective, but also really the metrics that the health plans are looking at. It, just as a recap, it's, it's again, it's that member engagement member satisfaction, making sure, you know, these are, are services that the members are excited about receiving. And then it's hitting on quality, those HEDIS measures, medical cost, and also on the MLR. So you hit both aspects, you know, and improving that. It really has had a big impact on our ability to kind of partner. When you go to work with another health plan, they want to see that your model's proven, that you have results you can stand behind before they go and sort of delegate that risk. I think the majority of Health plans that are out there are looking for the right partner, not necessarily just trying to optimize their economics. And Jeff and I have lots of conversations with the Wellbe team, you know, meeting with a ton of health plans across the country. So many of them are really focused on that member experience. They really want to dig into the details on the clinical model to understand the types of services we provide, what this looks and feels like for the members. And, and in fact, with some, some of our health plan partners, we actually encourage them to come out and do ride-alongs. So they're able to go out and see the model firsthand and actually experience what it means to, to bring Wellby's care model out to patients in the market. And you know, once we typically are able to then generate better insights on terms of how the model works, how the clinical interventions are deployed, then really it's kind of a, a deeper dive into the economics and working with the health plan to figure out what's the appropriate starting baseline that we're going to work off of from an MLR perspective. What are the decrements we're committing to? Again, because it's full global risk, we actually will step down the health plan off of that baseline contractually to provide guaranteed earnings improvement. But a lot of the time, those conversations on the economic side come after we've been able to show the results that we've generated with the model and then really digging into the, the clinical aspect. So that's kind of the approach that we've we've taken. But Jeff, anything you, you'd look to add? Yeah, just on the results. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I gave you that picture of that frail elderly patient. Not surprisingly, their medical costs are, are two times higher, right? Because they have terrible access to medical care. And, you know, frequently in and out of the emergency room, you know, think about your frail grandmother, right? But it also turns out their HEDIS results are really poor. So the starting HEDIS star score perspective out of our patients is around 2.3 to 2.5. And then as both you and Mike mentioned, we get them up to a four because, again, you're bringing the care to the patient, Right. So you can see how, from a results perspective, just simply giving access to people to great primary care kind of in the home, you can have tremendous influence both in their quality, their satisfaction, lower their medical costs, and improve their outcomes. So that's from a results perspective. We talked a little bit about full global risk, and you know, you've mentioned again the Chen Meds, Oak Street Village MDs, et cetera. You know, IOR, I guess, were in this. When you're at full global risk, you're both the provider and 
basically the payer, you can do care innovation. Now it's in your interest to do care innovation. But I do want to talk maybe about two things that Wellbe has done from a care innovation perspective. So there's the primary care in the home, great. And so let's call that convenient. So now we're physically in the patient's home and it's easy. From an access perspective, you had to have to be both convenient and then you have to also be responsive. In other words, if I tell a person, look, I'll come into your home, they say, great, it's convenient. But then let's say they have a problem, an urgent problem. And I say, okay, well, the next time I can be there is three months from now. That's not responsive and that's not going to work, right? In fact, that's kind of what happens in, let's call it fee-for-service medicine, right? You call your doctor and you say you got a problem. And the first thing they say is, well, great, I'll see you. But my next appointment is two months from now. Does that work? It doesn't really work, and your only alternative is go to the emergency room. So so we, to deal with this responsiveness issue, we've actually developed a mobile paramedic program where basically, think about an SUV. It's equipped with everything that's on an ambulance, oxygen tanks, IVs, nebulizer treatments, the whole thing, EKG machines, the whole thing, staffed by a an EMS or paramedic, and then if a patient, and they're circulating, think about like the fire station. They're just kind of sitting around playing Pinochle. For example, in Atlanta, we have three trucks, as we sit, as we talk today, just sitting there, drinking coffee, playing Pinochle, whatever it is. Patient has an emergency or an urgent thing, we get that truck with the paramedic into their home in less than 30 minutes. That's the responsiveness that these patients need, but that's also the innovation if you're in a full global risk model that you can do. And you can imagine if we're that responsive, we're convenient, we're in the home and then responsive, we've seen a 33% reduction in emergency room visits from that program. Now that's the, let's call it the medical cost economic side, but from a patient's perspective, that's like, wow, I'd rather have that than go schlep into the emergency room. So that's that's an example of I mean, another innovation, we talk, but that's an example of kind of when you're at global risk, the kind of care innovation you can do. Well, with your business so dependent on Medicare Advantage, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the concerns from some of the opponents to MA plans regarding risk adjustment. And, you know, Dr. Kong, last year you wrote an article in Health Affairs responding to the concerns posited by Don Berwick and Rick Gilfillan. And although disease-based risk adjustment and Medicare Advantage is critical to reflect the plan members' burden of illness at the highest level of specificity so you can make those appropriate premium allocations, and it's done in response to the complexity of the, of the population, there is that opposing view that there are just too many incentives for overcoding and gaming of the system. And, you know, we now, as an industry, are having to evolve towards these V2A HCC changes with risk adjustment. And that's an attempt to address some of the challenges and the, the criticisms, and that's going to be, begin phasing in next year. And those proposed changes would use 
new ICD-10 diagnosis codes to the mapping structure and decrease the number of codes by more than 2,000 from the current HCC model. And that change means more specificity and code assignment is going to be required for a number of chronic condition categories, you know, upping the administrative burden on medical practices. And invariably that update is going to, I would think, hinder care or access to patients with chronic conditions and might impact some of the more marginalized populations. It's been projected that there's going to be a reduction in funding of Medicare Advantage in the ballpark of $10 billion. Many are predicting reduced services and diminished supplemental benefit offerings. I'm not expecting you to provide an impact on B2A, but you know, Dr. Kong, since you put out some thought leadership on risk adjustment, I'd love to get your perspective on the current debate happening and with Medicare Advantage and and really how do we best find common ground given that you know all the things that we talked about and taking global risk and Medicare Advantage and all the innovation and, and patient centricity that can happen. How do we find common ground in terms of continuing to transform Medicare Advantage without limiting the innovation potential of these plans by having too much of an onerous regulatory requirement on some of the, the coding? I'd love to get your perspective on that. Wow. We could do a separate podcast on this. I guess, so first of all, I'll say this in some of the plans are not going to like me for saying this, but I do think that there is strong evidence that Medicare Advantage is overpaid relative to fee-for-service. The congressional intent of the program and risk adjustment was fair payment relative to fee-for-service. And I do think there is strong evidence that there's of overpayment, and it's due to what you know, you're calling, quote, overpayment. Coding and, and I'll circle back to that issue. I don't think, though, the solution is to get rid of disease-based risk adjustment. And in fact, those two writers, Berwick and Gilflin, one of their recommendations was to consider getting rid of it. And I think that's a wrong policy direction because it has been well described that people who have more diseases cost more, period. And the policy rationale for doing disease-based risk adjustment was twofold. One was there were some plans, this was back 20 years ago, there were some plans that were getting sick people and they should be getting fair payment. Think about your, those were like the social HMOs back then and stuff. So the second policy rationale was if you pay the state for all members, the incentive for plans is to just skim the healthy. That's the underwriting game. And that does not add any value at all. So I think the policy rationale for putting in disease-based risk, risk adjustment was the right rationale. We're just now in a situation where, quote, Plans are overpaid. Now, let's go to that overpayment thing. And as I wrote in this health affairs are, I actually think most of the difference between what's going on in Medicare Advantage and fee-for-service, most of it is due to undercoding in Medicare fee-for-service or traditional Medicare. And the reason why there's undercoding is because fee-for-service is paid for on the CPT code system, the, the CPT codes, and a doctor can put any diagnosis on that HICFA 1500, 
and still get paid in fee for service. So for example, a, doc, a patient may have seven chronic diseases. All the doctor has to do is put one of them on, diabetes, and they can put that on for the next 50 visits that they see and they'll get paid. In that article, there was a really interesting example I cited. It was actually by a guy named Rick Fronick, but he did the research on this. Quadriplegia is like paralysis, chronic paralysis of all four limbs. This is this problem is a chronic, but it's not going away. Okay. In fee for service, if you looked at the people who had that diagnosis this year and then asked who had that diagnosis coded next year, only 40%. And that's what happens in fee for because there is no incentive in fee for service to actually code that quadriplegia. So I really think the bulk of the problem is actually under diagnosis and fee-for-service. You know, we can do another podcast. I'm not going to get into the solutions, but I just want to be clear. Yes, there is some overcoding going in, in Medicare Advantage, and I think that's right. And I actually think it's what CMS did with V28 is a step in the right direction to take care of that. But I really want to make sure that your listeners understand the real problem underneath this is undercoding and fee for service. Well, it's a great perspective. And, you know, I appreciate you sharing your thoughts about that, Dr. Kong. And I, I now wanted to shift gears a little bit and just talk about relationship based care and the culture at Welby Senior Medical. You have this culture that's really centered around relationships. Your team is really out there to make a difference when it comes to healthcare and you're putting patients first and in doing so you're caring for your workforce. You know, you're providing them with the rewarding environment to deliver care that aligns with their altruistic purpose to help others. And, you know, that's really powerful stuff. I mean, it's all about successfully cultivating those trusting relationships with patients and you're creating an ideal place to work. And the strong culture at Wellbe, you know, it was recently recognized by Modern Healthcare when the company was put on their most recent list for Best Places to Work Award. And it's an absolute validation of patient-centric, you know, that your patient-centric mission and culture. And, you know, ultimately, the, the same can't be said for the vast majority of healthcare companies that are heavily dependent on that broken fee-for-service model of care that you talked about. Dr. Khan, it seems like if you're in a traditional primary care practice and fee-for-service, you're on that treadmill, you're trying to see 20 to 30 patients a day. You know, the, as I understand, the providers in your practice may see four to five patients a day, and it allows them to build those trusting relationships with those patients under their care. And I can't help but think about the impact of burnout. And right now that we're seeing in the workforce, I mean, there was a Harvard report that called physician burnout, a public health crisis that urgently demands action. And, you know, some physicians are even going as far as to say the profession's dealing with moral injury because the word burnout is insulting and insufficient in describing the pain that they feel when the fee-for-service system prevents doctors from doing what's right, thereby forcing them to inflict harm on patients. The antithesis of that Hippocratic oath, the physicians themselves through that fee-for-service dilemma are experiencing a form of injury themselves. And there's a recent study from Elation Health in the American Academy of Family Physicians, and it seems to confirm that value-based care can ameliorate some of that suffering in the physician workforce. You know, I'll just mention this. The study participants who were all primary care physicians, the ones that 
reported the most severe burnout symptoms received a majority of their revenue from fever service, while the participants that had little or no burnout reported 75% or more of their revenue and value-based payment arrangements. So I wanted to ask you both if you could share more about Wellbe's culture and that's centered around relationships and putting the patients first and and how does value-based payment underpin your patient-centric culture while also allowing Wellbe to create that rewarding environment for its workforce? Yeah, Eric, I'm, I'm happy to jump in. This is Mike. I think you hit the nail on the head, Eric, around patients first. It's actually, in fact, one of our, our company values. Um, I, I personally put patients first as, as kind of our number one value. And I think that's really embodied across the company leaning for, for folks leaning in and doing whatever it takes to take care of the patients that, you know, we have the opportunity to do so for, you know, the culture you asked about really is, is I think about Welby's culture and, you know, outside of the awards we've received really comes down to this collaborative environment we've created. You know, I think it's a testament to Jeff, other members of the executive team, you know, that have this unparalleled level of access. We have a relatively, you know, flat organization by nature of that. There's this openness to share ideas raise questions, have people give their opinions. And, you know, we're, we, we have the fortunate opportunity to attract incredible talent from across the country, varying different backgrounds, different experience, working in managed care and population health. And so it's bringing together, you know, all these different ideas uh, really to help make our model better, to deliver better results and a better member experience at the end of the day. But I think it comes back to the leadership, really, that set the tone for the company, being accessible, um, encouraging a healthy debate and discussion, and really letting folks across the company feel like they you know, not only have an opportunity to have their voice heard, but have an opportunity to make a meaningful impact on a rapidly growing national company. That's really what has attracted a lot of exceptional talent. And I think it's sort of the snowball effect. We're just continuing to get better and better as a result of that. On the value-based payment model side of things, because of the economic structure we, we have with the health plans, it gives us the opportunity to do things that differ significantly from fee-for-service. You know, I can't tell you how many times we've been in situations where there may be a member that is is sort of been flagged by the health plan that may not be attributed to us, but you know they've seen a great need for that member and wanting to refer them over to Wellby because they know that they would benefit from home-based care gives us the opportunity to lean in and just go take care of that member, do what's right. Other situations we've been in in the middle of contracting with another health plan down in the Southeast, and they had a couple of urgent members that needed to be seen. And while we were still finalizing some of the financial details, we just went out and saw those patients. We're doing what's right, living by the values of putting patients first. And I think it always comes back to that core value and sort of our driving overarching mission. It's an exciting time, but yeah, I think company and culture is everything. You can have some of the most successful models and be growing by leaps and bounds, but if you've got a challenging culture and you have poor leadership, it's only going to last so long. I think because we started with creating a great foundation of values, bringing together an experienced leadership team, creating this culture of collaboration, of trust. And again, going back to patients first, that is what has allowed us to be successful because again, we're only as good as our teams and where we recruit. And because of what we've been able to build here at Wellby, it's allowing us to recruit great exceptional talent as we continue to scale into new and new areas of the country. Let me expand on that culture. So there's that collaborative kind of culture, but I would also say that it's a very, I'm going to put aside the fact that I'm a doctor, okay, and I'm the CEO, but I would say throughout the organization, we're very clinically oriented versus financially oriented. So I would say we have kind of a clinically led culture, not a financially led culture. 
And I, I think that's really important because the way we think about it from a clinical perspective is if you take good care of the patient, the financials will follow, especially in the value-based model. I frequently say, look to the nurse practitioner, spend four hours with the patient or the doctor, spend four hours with the patient if that's what's going to take to keep them out of the hospital. That's a completely different message than what you would hear in fee-for-service. In fee-for-service, like it's going to take you four hours in the clinic to keep them out of the hospital. They just say, just send them a 911 and put them in the emergency room, right? So I think that clinically-led kind of culture versus financially-led is really important. Maybe the just another kind of example of this is, you know, Eric, you'd ask about risk adjustment. In a financially-led organization, there are a lot of home care companies that in our space, or there are there are, there are a lot of new companies, kind of companies, kind of that are trying to get into our space. In a financially led organization, they focus exclusively or almost on risk adjustment because that's what's easy to do. We're completely flipped. I think you should do risk adjustment. Okay, fine. But the way we think about it is, you got to make the diagnoses from a clinical perspective. Make your diagnoses and take care of them. So that's kind of the clinically-led culture. It's really focused on doing what's the right thing for the patient. And the right thing for the patient is not to just capture codes. The right thing to do for the patient is to make those diagnoses, whatever it is, and then take care of them. Now, when you take that orientation, it actually turns out most of our MLR improvement that you quoted is from medical cost reduction, not from correct coding. And that, A, from a patient's perspective, is what they're interested in. But B, that's sustainable value from a, from a company perspective. Not the coding games, but the medical costs. Let's focus on the better outcomes, better health outcomes, lower medical costs, better patient satisfaction. So I, I, I want to make sure you, there's that collaborative culture, but there's also, are we oriented clinically or are we oriented financially? I think you orient clinically, the financials will come. You do the right thing for the patients, the financials will come. No one wants to be in the hospital. You work hard to keep them out of, healthy and out of the hospital. That's a great outcome for our bottom line, but it's also a great outcome for the patient. Well, I think the big question here is with this clinical orientation, this patient-centered model, is this scalable? Like right now, you know, Wellby is in seven states. You're caring for 107,000 MA patients. 20% of them are dual eligible. You're currently in Georgia, Illinois, Ohio, Utah, West Virginia, Pennsylvania. As I understand, you're expanding your footprint into Oregon and eventually Washington and other states in the Northwest. Your latest expansion to Oregon is going to allow you to serve rural communities, which is a natural progression of your mission to serve members that are truly homebound, frail, polychronic, and elderly. In addition to that geographic expansion, I'm sure you're also thinking about expanding your risk-based contract portfolio to include Medicaid and ACO reach in the future as well. So I wanted to ask if you could provide our listeners with an update on your growth plans for the company? And, and is this home-based care delivery model something that's able to be replicated in new markets at scale? 
Yeah, we, we are really excited about the traction that we've had in the market over the past couple of years. You know, I've been with Wellby coming up on three years. Jeff knows this. You know, when I when I first joined Wellby, we were at about five thousand patients in Chicago and Atlanta. In that time span, we've now exceeded north of one hundred and seven thousand patients across seven states. So the model is definitely scalable. We've continued to generate exceptional results, creating new partnerships with new health plans, adding new service areas. We're bringing on seven, possibly eight additional states that will bring us to about 14 or 15 total markets across 2024, going into early 2025 and adding several new health plan partnerships. We're really excited about. I think of all of that growth, entering into new markets is really what gets me most excited. It's an opportunity to create new partnerships in new states and new areas of the country that have never heard of Wellbe. And so we're steadily getting on the path of when Wellbe will be a recognized name, not only for all of the health plans across the country, but especially the Medicare Advantage members that we get to care for. You mentioned the rural expansion. That's also another big, exciting area as we think about the care needs of the frail, complex elderly a lot of models focus on limited geographies, specifically urban or suburban environments. And the rural patients, you know, really, those are the ones that that, that need the greatest care are, are kind of left. They don't have great access to resources. They live in food deserts. Their only primary care tends to typically be the local hospital that's 30, 40, even 50 minutes or longer away from them. I myself have family that live in rural areas. I've seen it firsthand, the lack of healthcare access. So the fact that we get to not only help improve access to great care through WellBe in this type of model is exciting, but but I think even more so the fact that we get to improve access that's personalized, that's delivering VIP type care to these patients in their home in, in a rural setting is what is really differentiated. And I think we're going to continue to expand that. And because we now have that rural capability, it allows us to get started going into a new market, not in just a limited capacity. We can then now go in in terms of getting started in a brand new market in a much wider geography. So there's one new state we're going to be bringing on in 2024 that, that we'll be announcing here shortly. And it's it's encompassing more than 40 counties as opposed to just getting started in one small area. So this allows us to scale more efficiently, more quickly, to reach more patients right off the bat. And so there's a lot of great momentum that we've had. And I think it's because of that rural capability allows us to get started, you know, much more quickly. But I just, one thing on the scale thing, because I give you a comparator, you mentioned you had Gordon Chen on from Chen Med. So it takes Chen Med to enter a brand new market with a plan anywhere from 12 to 15 months. And the reason why is because they got to build the clinics, right? They got to, you know, supply them, they got to staff them, and then they got to start rolling. It's it's a long time. They got to get licensing for the site, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. To Mike's point, if we get a planned contract today, we could actually be up and running in 90 days. We don't have the problem of bricks and mortar. We hire the clinicians. They're working from their home. They're traveling to the patient's home. So from a scale perspective, there's a significant amount of advantages to this model versus a bricks and mortar model. Now, the disadvantage, I just want to be clear, the Chen Meds and the Oak Streets of the world, you know, you mentioned this, can see 20 patients a day in the office. Well, we're only seeing four to five. So from a productivity perspective, it's more challenging on our side, but if I think about comparisons from a scale perspective, it's a lot easier. 
it's a great perspective and it's exciting to see the the opportunities that are ahead at scale. I mean, clearly needs some type of inflection point in industry to create those deeper embedded relationships and communities and make positive impacts with our most marginalized populations. And, you know, with that said, this wouldn't be a conversation about value-based care without talking about health equity, you know, and, and it's unfortunate it took a global pandemic and a social justice movement for us to finally elevate our consciousness enough as a society to realize that we have systemic inequities, we have institutional racial discrimination embedded in our systems, uh, healthcare is not immune to that. Just looking at the African-American communities, for example, they're Patients that tend to receive lower quality health care, including treatments for cancer, HIV, prenatal care, diabetes, preventative care, they're less likely to receive treatment for cardiovascular disease. They're more likely to have unnecessary limb amputations. African-American men have the worst health outcomes of any major demographic group in the country. You know, I could go on and on there, but but there's also this something about this uh, ethno-geriatric imperative you know, and 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 how it aligns with what you're doing and and value-based care transformation. I mean, we have one third of older Americans that are projected to be from one of the minority populations by mid-century, and that vastly underrepresents the actual diversity that the providers will see. And and now that you know CMMI is being very uh, intentional about embedding health equity and and to reach and these new payment models, there's going to be a cascading effect that is going to uh, really impact you know how we deliver care and traditional Medicare and Medicaid, obviously. But I, I just wanted to just get your perspective on how leaders in value-based care can prepare to meet the challenge of this ethno-geriatric imperative in the years to come. I mean, can the implementation of personalized home-based care be an opportunity to rectify health disparities, especially when there's such a longstanding history of distrust with the healthcare system and many of these African-American senior communities? Uh, one, one thing just from a personal perspective, you know, I'm obviously Chinese and I just want to maybe just tell your listeners, I grew up and I was trained from a cultural perspective that it's our responsibility to take care of our elders. Our elders, right, they raised us, they nurtured us, they paid for their education, they fed us, you know, everything. And so that's, you should just understand from, that's our starting place. And in fact, if you look at the people who work at Welby, that's one of the commonalities. Our elders are dear to us because they treated us, they took care of us, et cetera. So that's one of the, so as a care provider, that's where we start. And that crosses all races and all you know, economic backgrounds, that commitment to caring for the elderly. I think that if you really look at a lot of the healthcare disparities in this country, it's driven by inadequate access to care. You know, it's difficult for the person who's in the south side of Chicago to, that's kind of like the equivalent of Harlem in New York, to get to the doctor's office in central Chicago, right? It's really hard. A lot of what we're going to, Welby does is we actually bring the care to the patient in, in personalized, in their home, meet them at their point of need. That act, Solving that access issue is going to be a huge component 
of how we reduce racial disparities, especially within the well-being population, right? So I just think if you really look at what a lot of the racial disparities in this country is due to access, how do you solve it? You bring the care to them. Now, you know, our providers, I mean, we have, also it's got to be culturally and linguistic sensitive, you know, everything you've talked about. So for example, we just recently hired, a, there's a Russian Polish community kind of in Chicago. We hired kind of a Russian speaking nurse practitioner and a Polish speaking nurse practitioner. Now they don't, they specifically focused on that community, right? It's very difficult to do that in a doctor's office. You can't have every doctor know every language, but in a home care setting, you can hire a specific provider and just target them right to that community. So, Well, gentlemen, I really enjoyed our conversation over this last hour. I mean, we've covered so much ground. I, I truly see Wellbe Senior Medical as an exemplar in the value-based care ecosystem. You know, your model provides that enhanced opportunity for better care and better health. And you're ensuring that patients do receive that access to care and there, there's patient-centeredness and you're addressing their SDOH needs. And, you know, I was thinking as we wrap up this conversation today, you know, maybe we could end on a, a note of futurism. You know, we have this goal by CMS 2030. We're going to have 100% of Medicare beneficiaries and accountable care relationship. Your model is one that um, has that scalability and impact to provide a solution where we can go and, you know, especially with the growing senior population. I mean, we have Americans that are 65 and older, that population doubling over the next 40 years, reaching 80 million people by 2040. The, the number of adults that are aged 85 is going to be quadrupling from 2000 to 2040. And it seems like value-based care is a historic moment, you know, where we can bring seniors the dignity and quality of life they deserve. So I'd love to get your parting comments just about how do we get there in terms of creating the models. You're certainly, you know, at the leading edge of that, but just as we look at making sure that our healthcare system is taking care of our seniors, are you optimistic about the future and and how we can deliver that better quality of life with dignity to those that have lived in this country and, and that are elders and, and, and making sure that we're we're delivering to them the outcomes that we want when we're that age and you know our family members. Yes, Eric, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic about the, the future, I think, as it pertains to healthcare and value-based care. I mean, even with the success that well, we Senior Medical has had, and we've just barely scratched the surface on the, the number of Medicare Advantage members that we could be serving in the country, I think in order to get to that state of optimism, where we could potentially be in terms of the getting more and more of the members in, in true value-based models, you know, this might be a little bit controversial, but I think what it's going to take is health plans to improve their ability to share data, both from a timeliness and also just accuracy to enable risk-bearing providers to look at opportunities in a de-identified manner and to look at what baselines might be. So data sharing has got to get a little bit more efficient. Secondly, I think health plans, particularly those that are in larger markets, need to potentially look at a willingness to look at alternatives outside of their existing network. I think far too often, a lot of health plans first look at large dominant IDNs and health systems that are in their market to see, hey, how is this going to disrupt my provider network before they start to acknowledge, hey, 
in order to get better outcomes, better arrangements for their members in value-based care, they tend to look first within before looking outside. And, and I think there needs to be a willingness to partner, particularly when those models can be complementary to those provider networks and not, not competitive with them. But overall, I think if we can clear those hurdles of examining the provider network inadequacies on data, I think we can help expedite the ability to step forward with, with models, particularly around value-based care. Interesting. I, I'm uh, a little less optimistic than my colleague. So <laughs> I think from a Welby perspective, I'm optimistic, largely because, Eric, we're 100% value-based in Medicare Advantage. And then the next step for us is to go to ACO REACH. In fact, this is not public, but we, we were accepted in the ACO REACH program last year. And we ended up deciding to withdraw largely because we wanted to just stay focused. The, the opportunity was so good in Medicare Advantage, so just, we just wanted to stay focused there. But I think from a well-we perspective, the future is good because we're 100% value-based care. I think from, if I move myself out of well, we into the just general delivery system, I just think it's a challenge. So let's say, let's say Medicare ACO, let's say uh, Medicare realizes its goals and has everyone in the ACO. Okay. So that's 50% of the Medicare population. Then you got to have a Medicare risk contract with the MA part to pick up the other 50. And then what about my commercial patients? Are they in a risk arrangement? And then what about my medications? Are they in a risk arrangement? I think the point that I'm trying to make is it's very difficult for a physician who's seeing all those populations to actually practice one way for their ACO patient, but a different way for the commercial because they're fee for service. So Really, at the end of the day, it's great that CMS is going to try to get everyone into an ACO, and I'm fully supportive of it. But where is the commercial payers? Where's the Medicare Advantage payers? And where's the Medicaid payers? So let's say CMS accomplishes that. That's for the Cleveland Clinic doctor. That's what? 10% of my practice? 20% of my practice? Am I going to transform my practice just for 20% of the members? That is... That's that's a big problem. And so I'm less optimistic, largely because you got to get all payers to move in this direction. And we're just not there. Well, gentlemen, your insights today have been just phenomenal. I, I can't thank you enough, you know, Jeff and Mike, for sharing the work that you're doing at Wellbe Senior Medical to transform the lives of seniors, your thought leadership about value-based care and the movement that we're in. You know, this podcast is a labor of love for us and, you know, trying to, to tell the stories and, you know, highlight the exemplars and let people know about these bright spots happening in our country. And, you know, Wellbe is certainly on the forefront of, of delivering better care. It's patient-centered and providing seniors with uh, the dignity and care that they deserve. Again, thank you, gentlemen, so much for, for joining us this week on the Race to Value. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, it's been our, our pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Really enjoyed it.